and welcome to another evening of Frank Conversation here on Hard Copy, coming to you from our studios in Abuja. I'm Maupe Ogun Yusuf. It's less than 30 days and counting to the presidential elections. Campaigns are in top gear. The umpire, INEC, says it is good to go. And the electorate has still been urged to collect their voter cards while they, in turn, continue to urge the referee to consider barriers which are preventing them from collecting the cards as quickly as they would want to. Meanwhile, the rest of the world will have its eyes strained on Nigeria, looking at how Africa's most populous democracy will be handling its elections. So far, it has defied the naysayers. Will it continue to do so? What will observers who monitor the polls this time be watching out for in Nigeria's democracy? What areas are they excited about? And what areas would they think and hope that other African countries can learn from in terms of how we conduct ourselves as a democracy? On Hard Copy tonight, I have with me Dr. Kojo Asante, who is the Director of Advocacy and Policy Engagement at the Center for Democratic Development in Ghana. He is currently in Nigeria, leading a delegation of West African Democracy Solidarity Network, WADAMUS, a group which also have their eyes on the polls. Dr. Asante, shall we say Akwaba to have Thank coffee. you. Thank you for hosting <laughs> me. Thank you for having me. Well, you're here quite early because, I mean, our elections are still a little uh, less than 30 days to the, the polls themselves. Are there things that you're watching out for ahead of the elections? Yes, thank you very much. No, I think you have to be, uh, you know, early in, in this process. Election starts all the way from voter registration, uh, the campaigning process, mm -hmm. the preparation of the Electoral Commission. So I think we wanted to come early because we really want to support civil society, our members in Wademos who are already on the ground, CDD West Africa, IAGA, Transition Monitoring Group, who are already doing a lot uh, to support election to encourage them, but also to learn from them what the issues are on the ground and see how we can engage election stakeholders to try and rectify it before we get to the main election. So you're going to be here till the elections themselves? No, so I think we're here, it's just a three-day uh, visit. Uh, we are back uh, here uh, at the end, well, maybe from the 20th, the week of the election, mm -hmm. uh, to actually, you know, monitor the polls uh, to the end. So far, so, so good. From the things that you have seen in terms of um, Nigeria's excitement or the excitement of Nigerians mm -hmm. who are going to the polls, are you satisfied with the preparations um, and perhaps the optimism that you're seeing ahead of the elections? I have to commend Nigerians. I think the enthusiasm is felt, uh, also particularly from young people. We've seen the turnouts in, in previous elections. I think the Electoral Act has, has also been a, a good uh, sort of game changer for Nigeria the deployment of technology. So people are, are excited, they want to participate. Now the real work is to make sure that the experience is what they expect. And I think the INEC is, is doing you know, well in terms of trying to prepare for the election. Uh, but our message is that you cannot leave it to only the authorities. Citizens have a huge role to play, whether it's in security, whether it's ensuring that, you know, uh, eligible voters get their PVCs, whether understanding the process, the IREV, you know, the electronic transmission viewing portal, the, the whole verification process, that kind of work requires that citizens 
take an interest, understand it. And I'm also expecting that the media, with the 30 days left, using local language, using language that people understand, can really educate people about the process. I think towards that process, we can then be expectant of a, a credible and transparent and peaceful election. Well, you were here in 2019. Uh, some people will say that the atmosphere then was a bit different. I yes. do know that three weeks to that polls, uh, Nigeria's uh, chief justice was removed at that mm. time. And uh, the new electoral act, which we now have now, was mm. not assented to yeah. then by the president. He sure. said it was too late in the day. Um, and some people said that that affected the mood of the elections. Now the situation is a tad different. Mm -hmm. The electoral act, we have a brand new electoral act, which yes, is right. allowing INEC do how it, you know, conduct elections sure. how it so pleases. Yeah. Um, uh, and you also see that the candidates are a bit different. The president um, is, not, is not coming back for a second term. Yeah. How do you think that this sort of, I, this sort of um, uh, like, I don't want to say items, but this sort of, um, looking for the right word now. Uh, the issue. What, the issues, the issue. how, how do they change the atmosphere mm. of an election? Do they really have any effect on the polls themselves? They do, and um, I mean, there's still many issues to sort of work through. Um, there is also the issue about, you know, how are we going to calculate this threshold? You know, 24 states plus, you know, federal territory. Uh, how is that going to You are be? seeing that as an issue already? <laughs> well, I mean, I believe that some the people are raising interpretation issues as to whether it's uh, the 25% in all states plus 25% of the SCT, or it is just the 24 states. I think those things need to be resolved, particularly, as you said, uh, you are having for the first time three very strong, you know, competitors. I think Nigeria hasn't had that for a long time. So nobody really knows the permutations that might happen. But you need clarity, not just from the, those participating, but the citizens, as to their ability to assess whether a process is legitimate or not. They need to know the rules of the game, and it has to be very clear. I think that there are some court cases that have gone on the PVC, for instance, uh, whether or not accreditation should be mandatory or there should be other ways in which you can accredit. The question is, you know, these things have to be resolved, but even when they are resolved, the result has to be communicated to citizens. So for me, I think 30 days is enough to really kind of, you know, fine-tune these little gaps in our information. If the citizens are fully aware of the rules of the game and the processes, it makes it easier for them to discount disinformation and, you know, different things that people might put into the, the space, the public space, that might agitate people uh, to act in the wrong way. So I think a lot has been done because of the Electoral Act empowered the INEC to do a lot. But there's still a lot that can be done between now and a calm election day on the 25th. In 2019, violence was a concern. Maybe not as big a concern as was, going, was feared for 2015. Yeah. Now, I haven't done the comparison for 2015 yeah. and 2019 in terms of the violence, yeah. but the, the tension in 2015 was palpable. You That's could right. yeah. put a knife through it. 2019, though, we did see some electoral violence, surprisingly. Uh, you know, over 200 people. At the, this is taking the, the smallest, uh, mm. you know, figure of quoted by observer yeah. missions. Yeah, right. um, over 200 people lost their lives Perhaps, yeah. as a result of, you know, election yeah. uh, violence. 
Um, how big a concern is that for you as you, you know, keep an eye on the polls in Nigeria? Certainly the situation has changed dramatically. I think uh, the, the, the fear of I mean, insecurity is a, is a concern for people. They are concerned that there are areas where it might be even difficult to conduct elections. Uh, I think the security forces and, you know, INEC and so on are trying to put in measures in place to minimize it to, you know, this lowest point so that, you, you know, people can still come out mm -hmm. uh, and, and vote. I think the young people are, are ready, you know, even in spite of all the fear-mongering that in some places is going on. It's, it's not to be dismissed. But I think there's so much enthusiasm that it will be a real shame if people feel uh, afraid to go to the polling station. So I think, that, again, it's about taking advantage of the time what practically can be done to kind of provide a safe environment for people to go and vote. Because compared to, as you said, compared to 2019, yes, political violence was the fear, but now you're worried about, you know, insecurity, uh, which some of it might not be able to be addressed fully within the next 30 days. It can just be mitigated. So everybody should just have a, a better understanding of, you know, what do we do in this place when, if we cannot hold elections? Are there other ways in which we can still ensure that people can exercise their franchise? Because legitimacy of the process, I think, is important. So uh, for me, their security is there. Everybody recognizes it. But the only thing we can do is to mitigate it. it I'm just be wondering, you know, looking from the outside, I do not know, oh, you know, how you, I mean, Nigerians are perceived or Nigeria is perceived from the outside. but. Looking from the outside, when you hear some of the security reports, I mean, d does it sound exaggerated when you now come into Nigeria? I think, I mean, from my experience, yes. uh, you know, watching elections in many places, it is a real practical thing. And so if you tell me there's insecurity, I want to know where, you know, how many polling stations are affected, who can vote, who cannot vote. Because if I put the analysis together and it tells me that, okay, we can cover 95% of this election and make sure, and then we have to put in contingency plans in the 5%, you're still able to organize a credible election. Mm -hmm. So it, it really has to be based on the facts on the ground. Mm -hmm. So where are the flashpoints? What kinds of you know, measures have been put in place? Those things, I think, for, will tell us a bit more about whether we have a, a big problem or a yeah, really small problem. Yeah, but I'm looking more at the issue of perception now. Sure. Um, yes, it's, it's exaggerated, of course. I mean, uh, people look at what is going on in Nigeria and they are reading and reporting. Certainly, if you come to Abuja, you will feel it, of course. But I'm sure if you go somewhere in the Northeast or, um, um, you, know, you know, parts of the North Central, there are people who are living different realities, and they, whether it's banditry or it's kidnappings or so on. So I think it's not to be dismissed. It has to be confronted. What can you do on election day to really provide a safe space for citizens to go and vote? That doesn't mean that you, you abandon the process of addressing security going forward. But on that day, you need this the democratic process to the cycle to go on so that you can give a, a government that has legitimacy the authority to confront the problem. So I think it's just 
dealing with that day and particularly the fallout also after that, how people react to results and so on. Once we're able to do that, then I think you know, there's a space to continue to work on, on the security issues. What areas really excite you about Nigeria's elections as we go into the polls? I like the enthusiasm of young people. Um, I think that, you know, it cannot be taken for granted. This is 24 years of unbroken you know, democratic experience, at least the, 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 the recent iteration of it. It will be the seventh consecutive time we hold the elections. And this is Nigeria. I keep telling, my friends keep telling me, hey, if you don't come and help us, you know, we'll come and sleep in your bedroom if anything happens yet. I don't think anybody can accommodate uh, the billions of Nigerians if they are displaced. So Nigeria has to set the right tone because we came in our delegation, we have, you know, society from Sierra Leone, from Liberia, who also faced elections uh, this year. Given what has happened in Guinea, Burkina Faso, Mali, we really need to stem the tide of a return to autocracy, destabilization, coup d'etats, and so on. So we really want Nigeria to succeed, you know, not just in Ghana because you know it, it destabilizes the sub-region, but I think Nigeria is due, you know, that continuity and 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 democratic growth. Uh, there's a lot of investment that has been done in the last 24 years. We shouldn't throw that away. So I think it's really, for me, I like the, uh, the excitement that people feel that this election is important, they want to participate in it. But I also like the fact that the progress has been made. When I look at the IREV, you know, the, the, the viewing portal, uh, there was a similar one in, in Kenya, which for me was, you know, made the election very transparent. And um, it's already been tested in Akiti and, and, and other places, Anambra and so on. So it's a real opportunity to kind of consolidate the gains of, of, of the last 24 years. I see that you're also, I mean, you have other areas of interest and uh, they include uh, anti-corruption, social accountability, local government, human rights, right. natural resource governance, yeah. and the politics of development. Yeah. If you look at these other in indices, a number of people will argue that Africa still seems to be holding the short end of the stick in spite of it, the progress it's making in democracy, sure. at least in successfully conducting elections. Uh, where would you say that the problem lies? Why is it that we're missing the nexus mm -hmm. towards improving these other indices mm -hmm. uh, with regards to um, our democracy? Mm. What is clear is that you, there is no way democracy will survive if democracy does not deliver development. I mean, there's been a debate as to whether we should link the two, that democracy in itself is a value that, an intrinsic value that we should cherish and, and promote. but. Uh, I guess to a time where people are asking, why is this? Why do we have this political arrangement if it does not, you know, provide the welfare of the citizens? So I think democracy, you know, cannot escape uh, the, the the consequence of development. And the more it's unable to do that, people start questioning, you know, democracy. The second thing is that we've seen in places like Guinea and other countries that the 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 breakdown of democratic you know, uh, uh, processes doesn't begin with just elections. It begins with corruption. It begins with you know, mismanagement, uh, misgovernance, and, and all the elements that you've talked about. So 
if we want to stem the tide, we have to take an interest in not just who is elected into power, but how they govern, you know, and we need to pay attention to that. So, you know, we have to pay attention to corruption. We have to pay attention to uh, accountability. The person, how do you control and restrain the person that you have entrusted this power so that they act on your behalf and act in a way that is in the public interest? That accountability framework and the mechanics for doing that is, is really the key. Most leaders are elected and they do whatever they like and they are not held accountable. So the, the citizens are wondering, you know, what's the benefit of going to go and stand in the line, 200 people getting killed? What, what's the sacrifice for? If it's just to enable other people steal public money and enrich themselves. So that narrative has to be confronted and we can only do that by keeping an eye on the period of governance not just elections. So we are committed, and our members are already involved in these processes, not just elections. Uh, they are involved in local government strengthening, uh, you know, women empowerment, inclusive development, all of those things. If we do more of that, come elections, elections will not be a, a do-and-die affair. Well, I, I want to ask you about, you know, the fact that we didn't used to have monitoring before now. I think it was the first time Nigeria had monitors it was in 1993. Yeah. Um, and since that time, I think it's now been a part of the each electoral cycle. In yeah. fact, the umpire even has, you know, codes guiding how yeah, um, yeah. observers, you know, come into its system and they constantly accredit. There are now, you know, over 144 observer groups that come That's to right. monitor elections in Nigeria. Um, and I'm just wondering, would you say that there has been significant progress from the reports given by the observer groups? Mm. Are they encouraged to keep coming? And given this report, knowing that they might be acted upon? Yes, because we, we, we monitor and track the implementation of, of some of the recommendations that we, we identify. But I think most important, even for us at Wademos, we want to Africanize these elections because we, we feel that it's important that the actors within the country understand the regional implications of the actions. You know, if we standardize values, across the different countries, then it's easier, you know, for us to sustain democracy and, and, and the outcomes that we are looking at. So when we were in Kenya, we were in Kenya, we, we, there were so many other Africans coming. We want Kenya to succeed. We want Kenya, you know, to do the right thing because it inspires others to also do the right thing. And I think this kind of monitoring uh, exercises helps to sort of elevate the conversation beyond the nation to the regional and to the world. And Nigeria is huge. I mean, you know, in terms of population, but it's just a strategic uh, role within, you know, the West Africa sub-region. So it needs to succeed. As they say, it's too big to fail. <laughs> so we, we have to all support uh, the country to go through that process and just keep reminding people that when they succeed, we all succeed. Are there areas of niggling concerns for you? Um, as I've said, I've identified some of them. Uh, I think the issue about the, the, the results, uh, um, you know, calculation issue. Really needs uh, to be spelled out. I think it needs to be spelled out. Um, and we have some time to, to do that, you know. There has to be a clear position on, on, on that. So that everybody knows what, who a winner, you know, what a winner should do uh, according to the Constitution.
I think some of the issues around the accreditation, because we, we've had an experience in, to, uh, in Ghana when we introduced our biometric voter registration system and verification system, and it's new technology. And at that point, we made it clear that you have to be verified, otherwise you cannot vote. You know? And in the middle of the day of election, then people having agitations and so on and so forth. And it put a lot of pressure on the Electoral Commission to have to you know, change it. And that creates uh, a lot of tension. That, that election went you know, to the courts afterwards to be adjudicated. So I think that education, clarity as to the rules of the game, and then education of the populace is essential. Um, I think we, were, we visited the Human Rights Commission recently, and I also like some of the things they were doing in terms of prioritizing uh, human rights uh, issues in the manifestos of the, of the parties. Because there are so many, if you, if you follow Nigeria, there's a lot of grievance around, you know, abuse of rights and so on and so forth. And I think every government has to begin to address this for the millions of young people who, who feel, you know, that they, they are being neglected. Um, so it has to be a, a part of the policy process. It shouldn't be something that is just discussed, but there has to be a systematic process to address it. So I like those kinds of uh, discussions that are going on um, and some of the institutions and what they are doing. Okay. Uh, are you looking forward to a time when perhaps Nigerians in the diaspora will be able to vote as well? Yes, we also try to do that in Ghana. Um, and I think it's important because uh, if you look at Afro, you know, Afrobeat <laughs> music and I mean, it's gone, you know, global and people are connecting in so many different ways culturally, you know, to the motherland. Uh, they are also investing more. A lot of people are coming back investing. So they all have a stake uh, in the growth and the development of Nigeria and they should be able to have a say on who leads the country. So I think that process is already countries like Senegal, Ivory Coast, a lot of Francophone countries already do it. So I don't think it should How be How successful was that in Ghana? Well, we've not managed to, to execute it yet. I was part of a committee that went round to look at the modalities and, and so on. And I mean, people will always see stumbling blocks. But I think whatever the case, you have to start. There's a bigger population of Nigerians in certain countries, you start with that and then you, you, you carry that forward. So I, I believe that um, it's more, people should understand more and more that citizenship is becoming more global. I'm sure there are a lot of Nigerians who have uh, you know, dual citizenship uh, who contribute a lot to this country. And I think they should be given a chance to even contribute further. Dr. Kojo Asante, thank you for coming on Heart It was a pleasure. Well, that's the program tonight. Do send your thoughts and questions to the handles showing on your screen. Thank you for watching. I'm Mao Kwe Yusuf. Good night.